0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Second John. Second John is one of the it's close to the very end of your Bibles, and uh, if you're using the pew Bibles around you, the chair Bibles, uh, you can find it on page 1,025. Second John. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. And each one of us comes with a different situation, different uh, challenges, that we are facing different areas of our life where we feel confused or attacked. And so Lord, we ask that as we as we come that your word here from 2nd John would uh, would shine shine a great light into these dark and confusing areas of our life so that we can see who you are and who we are and and how you desire for us to live. Lord, I ask that you would Uh, establish us in in your truth help your truth to abide in us today so that we can love one another and be watchful as a as a community so we pray this all in the name of Jesus our Savior amen what do you do when you feel attacked when things get out of control and even chaotic how do you respond do you Do you remember who God is and who you are and how God wants you to live in light of being attacked or as as is the case very often with myself and I'm sure with many of you does, when you get attacked does, does do all those wonderful truths just completely escape your mind in that very moment before I accepted a pastoral call here, I worked for a residential treatment center for boys. Uh, the boys would live there. And would uh, receive mental health and behavioral uh, uh, treatment for anywhere between uh, six months to a year and a half, or sometimes even longer. Now, as you can imagine, if you have 60 and 70, 60 to 70 boys all together, uh, there are often times when things get a little out of control. Uh, our, our staff were trained in verbal de-escalation skills uh, to use those first and foremost. But if things uh, would uh, get a little out of hand, um, and if we needed to go hands-on. And uh, and physically restrain a youth. Uh, we were trained in very specific types of physical holds. Now it of, it would often happen with staff, uh, especially new staff, uh, that even if they did well in their two weeks of training, uh, once they got onto the floor um, and 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 once conflict hit and there was verbal or physical aggression, uh, they would often forget their training and 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 wouldn't remember or wouldn't apply what they what they learned. And uh, as a result, sometimes people got hurt because training wasn't followed, and and then sometimes people lost their jobs. Now, admittedly, when you feel attacked or feel unsafe, uh, we all quickly go into fight or flight mode, and it, it can be hard to remember remember your skills, to remember your training, and to stick to your principles. So, uh, so we would we would reiterate with the staff again and again. Remember your training. Stick to your training. Trust your training. Now it's the same way with our faith. Now we're when when, when we're attacked as Christians, we often go into fight or flight mode. When things go dark and we often we often get confused about who God is. Is he really who he said he is for us? We often forget and get confused about who we are in Christ. And uh, when things go dark, uh, we often forget uh, how God has called us to live in light of these difficult uh, situations. Uh, Sometimes when things go dark, we we fight. And we fight with the mentality that, uh, even even as Christians, anything is fair in war. And also, sometimes when conflict and, and false teaching hit, sometimes people go through... Uh, what's now being properly called deconversion, and, uh, and they end up leaving the Christian faith altogether. So Second John, brothers and sisters, it's this little letter that reminds us that in the midst of attack and conflict and deception and darkness, we must not forget the basics of how we are to live. We must continue to walk in the truth, to love one another, to be watchful and wise in our dealings with false teachers, and to abide daily in the teaching of Christ. Now, a little bit about this letter before we get into the heart of it. Second uh, John is—it's the, the second shortest book in the Bible, uh, with Third John uh, being the uh, the shortest. This letter, it would have been small enough to to fit on one standard uh, sheet of papyrus, which is uh, just a little bit smaller than our typical uh, uh, standard printing page, printing paper. Um, Though the Apostle John isn't mentioned by name here, there's many strong reasons to believe that he's the elder that's mentioned uh, writing this letter. The language and the themes are very similar to John's other writings uh, perhaps you noticed as we read it. Perhaps you noticed uh, themes that were really similar uh, to First John, things like 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 abiding and the union of truth and love and obedience to God's commands and and the warning of, of false teachers. So who is John writing to? In verse one, we see that the elder John is writing to the elect lady and her children. The elect lady and her children. Now, that might initially sound like he's writing to a woman and her family, um, but it's more likely that John is uh, writing to a whole church and he's referring to the elect lady, uh, referring to it as uh, as the elect lady and, and that the members of the church, he's calling them her children. It's common throughout John's writings and, through, and throughout other uh, parts of Scripture to refer to the church or to the people of God in the feminine as, as a woman, a bride, a virgin. The term lady then is perhaps a term of honor, a reminder of the gospel, <coughs> that the church is the lady of the Lord Jesus Christ and that her children are children of God. So John, he's he's writing very affectionately uh, to this church that he he knows intimately and and loves deeply. Now, what is the reason for why John is writing? What's the situation? So look with me at verses 7 and 8. (coughs) For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. This church and the the church at large was experiencing an attack from false teachers spreading Gnostic teaching that that denies the incarnation of Jesus. John He does not hold back as to what he thinks about these these people. He calls them deceivers and antichrists. Uh, This was such an urgent situation that John chose to just write a brief letter uh, to the church before coming to it in person. So John is writing to address an attack of false teachers on the church. and, 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 And as we'll see, each thing that he writes... In this, the small letter, each aspect is going to help the church in the conflict that they're in, uh, and and um, it's gonna it's gonna help them know how, how who who is God in this situation, who who are we in this situation, and how how are we to interact and respond to these false teachers. So in this letter, John is going to give this church and then us by extension four helpful and basic instructions for these kinds of situations and and, and far more than just these types of situations too. So we're going to see four ways that we are called to be watchful. We're called to be watchful in truth, watchful in love, watchful in hospitality, and watchful with our very own presence. So let's start in verses 1 through 4 with John's instructions about truth. So read with me John's greeting in verses 1 through 4. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. Five times in these four verses, John mentions truth. Now, truth is at the very crux of our conflict with false teachers and antichrist. So, so it's imperative that we take great care and discipline to, to know true doctrine and to be able to discern it from false teaching. So John starts by reminding this church that we as Christians, we are people of truth. But we're not only people of just just truth. As John has t- done in, in, uh, in his other writings, he unites truth with love. He unites truth with love. We see this in verses 1 and 2. John expresses his genuine love for this church, and then he shares that, that he he isn't the only one that loves this church. But everyone who knows the truth loves the church. Everyone who knows the truth also loves the church. Knowing the truth, not just having facts in your brain, but, but knowing it with faith. This, this is the kind of knowing that leads to love for God's people. So, how does that all work? How does faith into true, true doctrine relate to love for the church? So verse 2 answers this question. Uh, Verse 2 starts with the word because. It's a very important word that shows that verse 2 is the foundation for verse 1. So why do all those who know the truth love the church? It says, because of the truth that abides in us. Because of the truth that abides in us. So truth, for Christians, it's never alone in our hearts and minds it abides it remains it's as we read earlier in 1st peter it's it's the living and abiding word of god and so so it's it's active it's life-giving truth it's fruit-bearing so truth is never alone because gospel truth that is received by faith then bears the fru- first fruits of love love for god and love for neighbor so love is the first fruits of truth implanted in our hearts so truth that is believed is united to love and it's the very foundation and source of love John's logic here in 2nd John is this that, that truth is the source of love and both truth and love are needed to be watchful against false teachers now in these first four verses and John's greeting here. He's doing something far more than just simply greeting the church. He's doing, he's doing something far more than just going through the rhythms of like, well, you know, this is how you do a formal letter. You do a greeting, and, and this is just what you do. No, he's doing far more than that. He's, he's already shepherding them in their conflict. Amidst a context of attack, John's words here help us all locate ourselves like a, like a GPS when things go dark. His words here remind us of who we are, of whose we are, that we are God's children. John reminds us that we are elect, chosen from before the foundations of the world. And when you think about that, and remember that, and think about God's choosing of us, We remember that God's choosing of us is stronger than the attacks of false teachers. John also reminds this church that they are not alone, but they are loved. Loved by John, loved by God as as children of God, and loved by the family of God, which stretches across ethnicities and geographies and even across time. So in the midst of this this dark attack of deception, we are promised that truth will still abide in us forever. That we are being guarded and protected by the gospel of truth that that God planted in us. So we, by God's power, we will not be deceived so much to the point of our destruction. That's, that's, That's very encouraging. That's very encouraging. And John also reminds us in verse 3 that grace, mercy, and peace will continue to flow to us from the Father and from the Son. Even in the midst of conflict and darkness, these blessings, our connection to the Father and to the Son, that, that, that tie, that, that bind is not going to be unbroken. It's not going to be broken. God will continue to provide for us. And then we see in verse 4. That, that even in challenging times of attack, there are still reasons for joy. God's children are still walking in the truth. Even though we get bombarded by, and surrounded by false teaching. I mean, it, here in America, it's just so prevalent everywhere. And, and so even though there's a, a great attack, we can with great joy look around and see that, 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 that so many people are walking in the truth. Now, this approach by John in his greeting here, what he's doing is he's he's setting the tone of faith and peace before he addresses the false teaching. He doesn't just start off right away very anxious or very angry and just start attacking and just trying to try to control everything. But instead he's 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 starting first with God and who we are in relation to God. And so that sets the tone of faith and peace. And, and, and it puts boundaries on the limits of this chaotic attack. I mean, in, 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 in interpersonal conflict, in persecution, in, in theological debate, we can, we can feel uh, like things are getting out of control. Uh, the temptation for quick anger and attack is very real. It's very present and, 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 uh, and, and, and attractive in the moment. But here, John, he's, what he does is he, he, this, he establishes this framework of faith in order to give a proper context for, for addressing this conflict. God is still sovereign and loving. Even though some people are leaving the faith, there are still believers who love one another and are walking in the truth. God is still dwelling in us, guarding us with truth, giving us his grace, mercy, and peace in just four verses John's turned on the lights in this in this church's darkness and now now they can see not only not only the conflict and the attack and in those situations we get so narrow focused just on that that we start to we can't see anything else but 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 John by turning the lights on here. He's helping them see not just the problem, but also being able to see all these other truths that bring hope, perspective, faith, and security in the midst of this difficult situation. Let's just take a step back a moment here. From this specific context in second John, which is talking about false teachers, and let let's take a step back into into our situations, our, our challenges, the things in our life that are confusing and dark, and the ways that we feel attacked. Are these truths in, in John's greeting, are these truths about election and love, about about God's truth abiding in us, His grace, mercy, and peace being with us? Are those things still true? in the difficult situations that we're facing today. Are they all still true in a pandemic? Are they all still true in family conflict? Are they still true when when war strikes in Ukraine? Are they still true when you find out you have cancer? Are they still true in seasons of depression? John's greeting brings a framework, a context, a a perspective that that brings hope and perspective into into all areas of our lives. So this isn't just about false teaching. It's about about more than that, about who God is for us in all areas of life. In verses 5 and 6, John instructs us with an emphasis now on love. He started with an emphasis on truth, and now he's moving uh, with an emphasis on love. And in verse 7, he connects this instruction to love with the situation with the false teachers. So he's going to connect these things together. Loving one another is going to help combat false teachers. So we're we're going to look at, at two things. First, what is this command to love one another? And then second, how... How does loving one another and walking according to God's commandments, how does that help combat false teaching and protect the church? So first, what is this command to love one another? Well, obviously, this, this is not something uh, new to us. We, we've, we've heard this many times before, haven't we? Uh, we, uh, we heard it in, in, in 1 John. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, John wrote almost the exact same thing that he wrote here in 2 John. He says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Well, that's almost word for word. Uh, when John refers to the beginning, I think he's referring to the beginning of Christianity, uh, to the, the teachings of Jesus Christ, specifically in the upper room in, in John 13, when, when he's gathered with his disciples for the last time right before his death, and he says to them in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. So this call to love one another as Jesus has loved us is at the very foundation of what we believe. This is the basics of our training. That we love one another no matter the situation. So John is is getting right back to the fundamentals of the faith because we dare not forget to love one another in all that we say and do in each and every circumstance. This is the DNA of our faith. We have been loved so greatly. So greatly. How, how can we not multiply this love and share this love with one another? In 2 John verse 6, John further helps explain what this command to love looks like. He says, And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. Now here, John Begins to kind of engage in what seems like uh, like circular reasoning. That uh, to, to to love God is to obey His commandments, and to obey His commandments is to love God. So what John is doing here is he's 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 speaking kind of circularly here in order to unite love and obedience to God's commands together. He does not want those to be ever separated. Jesus himself taught that all of the law and prophets could be boiled down to the command to love God and love your neighbor. So so God's moral law has not changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's always been about love for God and love for neighbor. The Ten Commandments are further explanations of what love for God and neighbor look like. And and all the other commands of the Bible can fit into one or a few of the Ten Commandments and, 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 and by inference then be connected back to love for God and love for neighbor. Here's a quote from John Stott. He says, Law and love are not incompatible on the contrary, each involves the other. Each involves the other. Law and love are united together. They're compatible. Love is in the DNA of God's law. God is law, love. God is love. And so when God gave us his law for how we are to live like him, his laws then are inherently infused with love. That's, that's the goal of them. So that begins to give us a sense for for what what is this command to love one another. So how does loving one another and walking according to God's commandments, how, how does all that help us combat false teachers and protect the church? John is calling these Christians to love one another and obey Christ's teachings because false teachers are attacking and, and Christians will be much more unified in their fight against false teachers if they are loving one another and following Christ's commands. If, if the church abandons loving one another, when it faces attack and controversy, it will be uh, much more vulnerable to have its members become isolated and when Christians are alone, they are, are, are easy targets for Satan and for false teachers. We are stronger together. And we're stronger together when we're loving one another. Another thing to consider is this. Love for one another exalts the doctrine of the Incarnation of Christ. In the context of John's day, many false teachers, they were going out like missionaries to deny the incarnation of Christ that Jesus put on human flesh. So now, now let's just think about this for a moment. What impact would it have on Christian love if we denied the coming of Jesus in the, in the flesh? What impact would that have on Christian love? I've believe it would gut it out. To deny the incarnation is to deny the love of God, to deny the intimate, personal, imminent, and salvific love of God. If our love comes from the great demonstration of the love of God in the gospel, then the incarnation is central to the truth that our love our love initiates. Our love goes to the greatest lengths. Our, our love gets up close and personal and messy with sin and suffering. Our love knows others experientially. And it, 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 it knows each other with genuine empathy. That's how Jesus showed his love for us when he put uh, on, on, on our flesh. He became one of us. He knows our weakness. He knows our suffering. He knows our temptation. Take away the incarnation. And God is merely keeping a healthy distance between us and Himself. And and, and how, how can genuine love flow and grow out of a false gospel like that? We must love one another for for when we love one another as Christ has loved us, we are exalting the truth that God loved us so much that He sent His one and only Son, Jesus, in the flesh to become one of us. The Incarnation is fuel for our love for one another. And our love for one another illustrates and adorns the doctrine of the Incarnation of Christ. So as we love one another... The world and others see what this love is like. It supports and adorns the doctrine of the Incarnation of Christ. So if the Incarnation of Christ is attacked, our loving one another is evidence that the Incarnation is real and true. So let us be watchful in our love for one another. Brothers and sisters, Next, in verses 10 and 11, John gives specific instructions on hospitality and how we are to deal with false teachers coming as missionaries. So, uh, uh, read with me verses 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. That's some pretty strong language. As Christians, we are called to be hospitable, right? And we're called to welcome one another and to welcome strangers according to our various giftings and capacities. And, and, and so, so does our call to hospitality, does that extend even to false teachers? I mean, Jesus called us to love our enemies, Right? So you can begin to start to see why there could be some confusion about what to do about false teachers if we're called to love our enemies and called to be hospitable. John here instructs us to be watchful in our hospitality that there are boundaries to our love and our hospitality. There's appropriate boundaries. So what is John saying here and what isn't he saying? First, what is John saying? What What, what is he prohibiting here? Uh, Douglas Sean O'Donnell puts it well in his commentary here. He says this. What he is saying is that homeowning Christians should not house traveling heretics and that the local church should not provide a base for their anti-gospel evangelism. To let someone who denies the incarnation and crucifixion of Christ use the church building, preach a sermon, or take from, the, from missions funding is to have koinonia, or fellowship, with that person. John is speaking about missionary false teachers who are traveling to a city for the purpose of spreading their false gospel. Our homes and our churches are not to be used to advance the mission of Satan. I think that should be pretty clear. We are not to greet false teachers in the same way that we greet brothers in Christ, with the the same words of grace and peace and with the same love, and and, and as if if we're communicating to them that, that, that we're one with them, that we're united with them. Now it is very important that we continue to be respectful and honoring with all of our interactions with everybody, and and there's there's, and there's other ways to love false teachers and our enemies, but we do not use our resources to advance the mission of cults. I hope that's pretty clear. So now uh, a few things that John is not forbidding here. What's he not saying? John is not forbidding, uh, say, housing a a Muslim foreign exchange student. He's not forbidding uh, sitting down in your house with with a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon to refute their claims and evangelize them. John isn't forbidding having an unbelieving family member over for for Thanksgiving and, and showing them warm affection in your greeting. And John is most certainly not forbidding us from eating in the houses of, uh, of the homes of sinners, because Jesus himself did that. Uh, John isn't forbidding us from inviting people of different faiths to our church to, to, to come and to see what we do and to, to, uh, to learn and, 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 uh, and, and possibly to even worship. So, there there are many situations uh, that this instruction of John does not apply to. So, as a general principle, we're to be watchful with our personal and church resources so that we don't advance the mission of false teaching. And and we're to be uh, watchful with our words to to false teachers that we do not give them the impression that that we approve of their wicked works. That's what they are they're wicked works. People are being deceived. And will spend eternity in hell for their deception. So, so much more could be said here. So many more nuances or scenarios and situations. Uh, but in summary, summary, let's never divorce truth from love or love from truth. There are always ways to love our enemies and even false teachers. But we must, must not love our enemies in a way that denies truth. May God give us wisdom in, in the various situations that we encounter. John then ends his brief letter in verse 12 by telling them that he has much to say and that he plans to come to them so that he can engage with them face to face. And here John, he's not, he's not explicitly teaching anything, but, but rather I believe that he's, he's demonstrating to us something really important. He's demonstrating watchfulness with His very presence. With his very presence. He knows that He can help guard and protect and care for this church most effectively if He goes to them. Loving and teaching in person and dialoguing back and forth, That that's really going to help this church to, to combat false teachers. So this example of John, it's a reminder to us of the value of being in each other's presence. Loving one another from a distance, it's it's still very possible. But it can be hard and it can have many challenges. So we're to continue to, to, to lean into and to prioritize being face to face with one another, to worship in person with one another as we're able to open up our homes to one another, to, to possibly be involved in a, in a small group, to perhaps go and, and visit a missionary uh, to, to, in, in person, to, to go to their country and, instead of just waiting for them to come uh, back to us. And perhaps maybe it, it looks like uh, going and, and sitting down with a friend who's, who's, uh, who's, who's foundations of the Christian faith for them is really getting shaken and, and they're, they're perhaps going through deconversion. So these are all some ways that we can love one another and be watchful over one another with our very presence. So we've looked at the situation that John's writing to and his instructions of love and truth and watchfulness. So now, what's, what's John's ultimate goal that he's aiming for? John has reminded us of the basics of our faith, and now in verses 8 and 9, he will remind us of the goal of our faith. From the basics of the faith to the goal of our faith. Read with me verses 8 and 9. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. John urges the church to be watchful so that they might win a full reward. A full reward. So what is this reward? Well, it's hard to know exactly what John is referring to here, but... Uh, but there are rewards in this life, and there are rewards in the life to come. The Apostle John and other Christians, they've, they've labored for this church uh, to, to teach them, to, to plant them, to financially support them, uh, to defend them against wolves. And so, so John is urging this church to defend themselves uh, from false teaching because otherwise everything that they've worked for will collapse and the church will become apostate. So there's a sense of reward, of, of seeing a church bear fruit in this life. The fruit of, of seeing people be saved. And, 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 and the fruit of, of seeing churches be planted. And, 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 and the fruit of, of the gospel going forth. But there's also a sense of, of reward in the life to come. Jesus taught us to store up our treasures in heaven to look to our heavenly reward. And the Bible teaches us that that we'll be rewarded for what we have done here on earth. Now, our salvation is not earned. Rather, it's a gift from God. So John is not saying here that we can lose our salvation. That's not where he's going. In verse 9, we see our ultimate reward, the ultimate prize imaginable. And it truly is it's it's an unearned gift. It's not something that we have earned. John promises in verse 9 that whoever abides in the teaching of Christ has God. Has God. God Himself is our greatest prize. He is the goal that we are running toward. There's nothing greater than, than the embrace of our Heavenly Father at the finish line of life. There's nothing on earth or in heaven that compares to God Himself. What a glorious honor it is, and, and, and it's, just, it's hard to even imagine that we can even say that we have the Father and we have the Son. I mean, it seems more appropriate to just say that they have us but to know that that the Father and the Son, that we have the Father, we have the Son. That's an honor beyond. uh, It's an unspeakable honor. Is that the goal of your life? Is He the greatest person that you're looking forward to being with in heaven? Do you resonate deeply with the psalmist in Psalm 27 when he says, One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That's what it means to have God. This is the goal for why we must, must be watchful over our own souls and over the souls of each other here in this church, and over the souls of our, of our sister churches, and over the souls of those in, in, our, in our area churches as well, and over the souls of our, our missionaries and, and the efforts that they're doing overseas. Let us stay rooted in the fundamentals of our faith. Let's not forget the basics of our training. Let us walk in love and love one another so that more and more people may abide in the teaching of Christ and receive Him and receive the Father forever. May God grant us the grace, mercy, and peace to accomplish this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we can't wait for that day when we can gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Lord, we ask that you would help us, help conform our hearts more and more to, to longing for that, for that to be the goal of our life, for our lives to more consistently live in light of that great goal of having God, of having the Father, having the Son. Thank you that we already have the Father and have the Son. And that one day that will be in all of its fullness in heaven. I ask, Lord, that for each person here, in, in light of the the dark situations that they're in, in light of the things that are confusing, in light of the ways that they feel attacked, Lord, I ask that that uh, that Your truth would abide in them. That it would, it would abide and be living and active and, and give birth to love. That they would love others, that they would receive your grace, your mercy, and your peace in the midst of these really challenging times. So thank you, Heavenly Father, that that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you will always provide for us, even, even when things go dark. So Lord, I ask that you would help us now to go forth from here, to walk in the truth, to love one another, and to be watchful against false teaching. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our incarnate Savior. Amen.